That is certainly my desire. I trust that's yours. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Just a word of appreciation to uh, Larry, Brother Larry, and all of the choir and orchestra. You need to know that we, on purpose, do several things. We try to mix, and I deeply appreciate the way he does this, we try to mix the traditional with some praise. Some churches will stay all traditional and you'll go to sleep, and some will move to a Saturday Night Youth for Christ rally on Sunday morning with all choruses. You need to know that we purposely try to maintain some traditional hymns. I like the old hymns. They teach us about God. But at the same time, some of the great praise choruses help us to focus on the person of God and uh, teach us to think about our personal relationship. And they're very valuable. So you need to know, we on purpose seek a blend. And that is done by design as we plan our worship times together. And while we're talking about it, a young lady came in and said that normally in her church they have 40 minutes. She's not sure she can sit through this service. You need to know, we, if you come to church at Calvary, we plan a service for around an hour and 20 minutes. But uh, we don't try to tell the Holy Spirit what to do. You can just plan on that. An hour and 20 minutes is about our service time. And uh, we... That's just the way it is. <laughs> Dr. R.G. Lee said, Sermonettes make Christianettes. And um, I like what Jan Morrison said. She went off to visit another church up in the Midwest and she came back and she said, The pastor on Christmas morning preached 12 minutes and she felt like it wasn't worth getting up and going to church for a 12 minute sermon. It takes me that long to say, Good morning. How are you, God? <laughs> But anyway, we try to give exposition to the Scripture and open that up. And uh, anyway, I'm just, I just thought you'd like to know. If you didn't know, you probably already figured that out, though, hadn't you, David? Huh? You'd already figured that out. Turn to Revelation, not Revelations. Revelation, only one, chapter 13. And here in this great chapter, and it is one of the pivotal chapters in the book and certainly in prophetic literature, we see two things that I want to deal with today in our time. Verse 1 says, I stood on the sand of the sea. That's really not a good translation at all. That belongs to the last of chapter 12. It is the dragon who stands on the sea. Somebody was copying this in the 13th century and decided that it made more sense for John to stand on the sea. But it wasn't John standing on the sand of the sea. It was the dragon who stood, representing Satan out of chapter 12. See, read verse 17 of chapter 12. And the dragon was enraged with a woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he stood on the sand of the sea and he saw a beast, the dragon, Satan, saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns and on his heads a blasphemous name. Verse 11. Then he saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Now, the title of our message is Two Beasts and a Dragon. Sounds like something out of C.S. Lewis, doesn't it? Two beasts 
and the dragon. Some time ago in a Peanuts comic strip, Lucy said to Charlie Brown, I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wide world. To which Charlie Brown answered, but I thought you had inner peace. And she responded, I have inner peace, but I have outer obnoxiousness. <laughs> I have inner peace, but it's what's going on in the world that bothers me. It's what's going on in government that bothers me. It's what's going on in society that bothers me. I have inner peace, but it's what's going on around me that bothers me. I have outer obnoxiousness, she said. <laughs> While working for peace inside with God, sometimes we have a real problem with the world. Did you know even preachers do? I mean, we work all week long trying to help people. And after a week of that, you know, I, I have been taught original sin when I was in college and seminary, but it was after I became a pastor that I really came to believe in it. <laughs> original sin. Because sometimes the world around us, we just don't understand why it works the way it works. Revelation, the book of Revelation, God's prophetic truth, is the story of what's happening in the world on the way to the world becoming what God wants it to be. Now, put that in the back of your computer and you'll understand the world better. The book of Revelation is the story of what's going on in the world on the way to the world becoming what God wants it to be. And if you don't see that, you'll miss it. You'll not understand why the wicked prosper and the godly suffer. Why, after you've thrown all your influence and prayer towards a cause, the cause doesn't necessarily succeed. Because revelation and all prophetic truth is the story of what's going on in the world on the way to its becoming what God wants it to be. And if you can grasp that, then you'll put up with the world and the outer obnoxiousness of the world, as Lucy put it. Now, look at the dragons. First, the dragon that I call the sea dragon. I mean, the sea beast, verse 1. Out of the sea there arose a beast who had seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now, the sea represents stormy, chaotic conditions throughout history. When man was chaotic, when political and social conditions were disordered, there arose a tyrant. You can count on it. Out of post-World War I Germany arose Hitler. Out of the chaotic conditions of economy in Italy arose Mussolini. Out of the chaotic conditions of the post-Tsarist era arose Lenin and the Bolsheviks. 
Tyrants always come out of chaotic and stormy conditions when people don't know what they want and they lose their way. The dragon stands on the sand and sees a beast arising out of the sea. This is a prophecy about something we shall see in the future, but it speaks of a principle which has been true historically and is true to this very day. Any teenager who wants to study political science needs to understand Revelation chapter 13. Now the beast had seven heads and ten horns in apocalyptic literature. Seven heads, the horns, see that, have ten crowns. And the heads bear a blasphemous name. So this beast has ten kings, ten crowns, ten governmental authorities that come out of it. We'll see what that's about in a moment. So somewhere down the line, either symbolically or realistically, ten kings and ten nations will get together and give their authority to this beast who is the Antichrist. This is not a religious leader. He is a political leader. Verse 2, And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now hold your hand here. You've heard of the, of the Antichrist all your life. Turn back to the book of Daniel. Now don't lose this. Turn back to the book of Daniel and chapter 7. Now in the book of Daniel, something interesting is seen. In Daniel's dream, during Belshazzar's reign, here's what he saw in Daniel 7-2. And this is the marvelous thing about the Bible, how it, how it uh, dovetails together. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great, what's the word, class? Sea. Sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea. From the chaotic masses, over the period of history, four great kings or reigns had come up, each different from the other. Now look at his vision. The first of these beasts, representing a world empire, was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth. The second beast, a second world ruler, was like a bear it was raised up on one side, had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said to it, Arise and devour much flesh. Verse 6, I looked again, and there was another beast, like a leopard. Verse 7, after this in the night visions, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet, different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had how many horns, class? Ten horns. He was considering the horns when there arose a little horn, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Now, if the fourth beast is the Roman Empire, the last, and out of it come ten horns, ten crowns, 
ten authorities or nations, the leader of one of those shall take three others, and he shall rise up and take precedent, shall sell the world that he can solve the world's problems, and become the political dictator and tyrant of the world, and that is the Antichrist. Now go on to verse 17. Verse 17, those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. You cannot be mistaken. There are four world kings, four world empires. And the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom ultimately and possess the kingdom. But he wanted to know about the fourth beast, verse 19, different from the others, with his teeth of iron, nails of bronze, devoured, broken in pieces, trampled the residue with his feet that had ten horns that were on its head, and about the other horn, which came up before the three, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth, which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. That same horn, that little horn, the Antichrist, was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. He is talking about the end time described in Revelation 13. When there will rise an Antichrist who will deceive three of the nations and draw his power for them and then fool the whole world and fool Israel. Now, I don't have time to go into all the details, and I'm not one of the students of Revelation that likes to spend time speculating over who it is. Because I don't care who it is, I believe I'm going to be raptured off the earth before it anyway. I'm going to be gone. But what is important, remember, Revelation is the story of what's happening on the way to the world becoming what God wants it to be. And when you see that, now you can begin to understand how the conditions of the world are getting set for a world tyrant and a world ruler. And that is this beast. Now, let's go on and just think of him for a moment. One of his heads, one of the heads of the beast had been mortally wounded. Now, there's discussion as to whether that's the power of Rome that is broken or whether there is actually some mortal wound to the Antichrist and he is revived. I tend to think if you stay in the imagery of the, of the prophetic literature, it refers to the coming down of an authority. But it comes back and the world marvels and out of its coming back, all the beast, the Antichrist, is leading, takes control of the world and leads the world to worship the dragon who is Satan who gave authority to the beast. Now, let's just walk down through here. Look, first, in verse 2, all authority for the beast, the Antichrist, the political ruler, who in the coming tribulation time will rule the world, it comes from the dragon, from Satan. Again, in verse 4, the purpose of Satan is to get the world to worship him. The world worships him, and they worship the beast, saying, who is like him? And who is able to make war with him, this Antichrist, this tyrant. Now hear this carefully. The deification of secular authority to deify secular government is always the principle of Satan in this world. And it, it rises to its consummation in the Antichrist who is a tyrant worshipped by the whole world. And brother, if you cannot see that happening, even in the United States of America, 
That is why after all you've done and all you voted, and Christians shouldn't isolate themselves. We should keep on. We should keep voting. But after all you've done and after all David Barton has done, it is still true this country keeps moving towards government as a secular authority, which is the final end all of ethics and morality. And that's where we are in this country. It's already happened in states in Europe where they formerly were controlled by religion. Now they're purely secular and they pride themselves on that. And we worship at the altar of a secular authority. And we see that movement, the whole movement to take religion out of government, to keep religion from influencing government, and to make sure that government and religion are not intertwined is a movement that fits perfectly into the movement of, the Satan, in, of Satan in every age, which will reach its height, its culmination in the Antichrist and the deification of secular authority. Remember, Revelation is a story of what's going on in the world on the way to the world becoming what God wants it to be. And you can already see that. You can see how that could easily happen. We could be within 10 years of the Antichrist. We could be within 20. We could be within five of the Antichrist coming up during that great tribulation period. And so in verse 5, this beast, the Antichrist, the world ruler is given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And notice how many times that phrase, he was given, he was given, he was given. His authority was given from Satan. He was given a mouth to speak lies and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months, which is half of the seven-year tribulation period. And then there's a limit. Thank God there's always a limit to what God permits in suffering in this world. Amen. Then he opened his mouth, verse 6, in blasphemy against God. And he blasphemed three things. And the Antichrist will concentrate on this. He'll want to blaspheme the name of God, the tabernacle of God, where the people of God worship, and the people of God themselves, those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to the beast to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And it is universal authority. Authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And Jesus said, in that day, that tribulation period, except the day shall be shortened for the elect's sake, there will be none who would last. So Satan is out to destroy whatever people of God, Israel, during the tribulation period. And all, verse 8, who dwell on the earth will worship him except those whose names have been written in the book of life who is slain from the beginning of the world. That's the people of God during the tribulation. So the whole world will be deceived and fall down and worship this beast, except those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Boy, aren't you glad your name is written down there? Aren't you glad? Eddie Branscombe, written in the book of life. Robert Watson, written in the book of life from the foundation. John Duncan, written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. John, when you were saved, God knew it centuries before you knew it. He already was working on you. Amen? Now you can see it. After you come to Christ, you can see what he was doing in your life. 
And then he, he lays down a principle. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. But notice, he doesn't say like he said in chapter 3, to the churches. This isn't to the churches. Why? Because the churches have already been raptured out. But if anyone has an ear to hear, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Isn't that what Jesus told Peter when he took his sword, cut off Malchus' right ear? What did he say? Do you remember? They who live by the sword shall what? Die by the sword. And uh, our Lord reiterates this, that the Antichrist will rise and be a world tyrant for a while. He will be a powerful secular authority, but it will be limited and he won't last forever. Christ will overcome him just as Daniel's prophecy said he would. And so he says, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. This demonstrates the patience and the faith. Why do I suffer? So I can demonstrate endurance and patience to a world. Why do you suffer? So, you can in, so that you can demonstrate patience and endurance to the world. Then verse 11, I saw another beast. This is the land beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Now this is the second beast. He is not the political ruler the Antichrist. He is the false prophet. He leads a false apostate church. For tyrants always love to have the support of organized religion. Pharaoh had his Janus and Jambres. Ahab had 400 prophets of Baal that he sought advice from. When Absalom rebelled against David, he had Ahithophel to give him advice. And so here, the second beast is the leader of a false church. Now, now I want you to understand this. How do I know this is a false prophet? Because this lamb had how many horns? Two. And every time you see the true lamb of God in the book of Revelation, how many horns does he have? Seven, the perfect number. So we know this is a false lamb because he only has two horns and he appears to be religious and gentle and soft and godly, but he's a deceiver. He's a deceiver because he speaks like a what? A dragon. And where does he get his authority? The same place the first beast gets his authority, from the dragon, from Satan. Have you ever wondered why religious leaders can say dumb things like one religious leader I read the other day? He said, sex outside of marriage is fine as long as it's accompanied by true love. That lamb has got two horns and speaks like a dragon. <laughs> Hear me. Now, that is why now, you got to understand where I'm coming from. I, I, I'm not one of these guys that gets on television and rants and raves about Joe Schmo from Kokomo being the Antichrist or the false. I don't know who, and I'm going to leave that to God. But I believe very strongly 
that any movement to unite, to unite and to unify all Christians under some organizational head fits right into the devil's plans. And that's why Bible-believing Christians are afraid of unity movements in religion because of this right here. Because at the end of time, it will all culminate in a false church speaking and supporting the first beast and speaking what the devil wants them to speak and leading the whole world to worship this Antichrist, the political leader. See? Now look at verse 12. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. That is the role of false apostate religion in the world. Now, we've already been over this. He performs great signs, like bringing fire down from heaven. He deceives those who dwell on the earth. He was given power in verse 15 to give breath to the image of the beast and make people believe the beast image is alive. He makes war, and his purpose is to eliminate the people of God. Look at the last of verse 15. He wants to cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Satan isn't just trying to overpower you. Satan's goal against the church in every age is to eliminate the people of God. Everything he does in your life is towards destruction. Everything God does in your life is towards life. And when you contrast life lived in the flesh with life lived in the spirit, life lived in the spirit is joyous and happy and productive. And life lived in drunkenness is depressing and defeated and leads to destruction. And it's always been true. And it will be true in prophecy. So verse 16, it is through the religious power, the false prophet leading a false church, verse 16, that all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, will need to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads so that they cannot buy or sell except they have the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. See, it's the false church that controls that. This is the second beast who says you've got to have the name of the first, the number of the first beast. Isn't Satan a great deceiver? We looked at that last week. And just as we bear in our body the marks of the Lord Jesus, the false antichrist will require the mark in your body, what Paul calls the stigmata. And so what is that? Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. I have people come up to me and give me articles. Did you know there's a super, 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 super collider? It was in the star. And that super, 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 super computer is keeping all the names, 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 and all the numbers, numbers, numbers of all the people in the world. I'm not worried about that. The number is 666. I can do that on my 595 calculator at home. And why is it 666? Very simple. Seven is the number of perfection. Six is the number of man. Man was created on what day, class? The sixth day. Man shall work how many days in a week, class? Six days shalt thou work. Six is the number of imperfection. 
And the Antichrist number is very simple. It represents that the very best that man can do to rule this world is not good enough for God. And man's very best efforts to save himself are not good enough for God. And man's very best works in order to make himself moral are not good enough for God. Man always comes up a day late and a dollar short. It is not 777. It is 666. The Lamb has seven horns. The Spirit has seven candlesticks. All throughout the book of Revelation, it is seven, the number of perfection and the number of God, and six is the number of man. And it's as simple as that. And you don't need to buy one of those dollar and a quarter uh, cheap sheets at Kroger's in order to find that out. You can get it out of Revelation 13. Amen? That's as simple as that. So the false beast, number one, out of the sea is the Antichrist, the political ruler, to try to capture the world and keep it from Jesus. I think the old dragon, the devil, found, finds somebody in the prophetic future who is a ruler and has a lot of charisma and deceives the whole world. And he offered the kingdom just like he offered it to Jesus in the great temptation. Do you remember? He said, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give it to you. And I think somebody said, I'll bow down. And he gave it to him. But it doesn't last because Jesus is coming back at the end of that tribulation and setting up the real kingdom with the fullness of God. And Christ will sit on the real throne. But remember, prophecy in the book of Revelation is the story of what's happening in the world on the way to becoming what God wants it to be. <laughs> well, let me give you, it's uh, four minutes after 10. And remember I told you our service lasts an hour and 20 minutes and we started three minutes late, so I've only got 16 more to go. <laughs> Can I give you an application to all of this? I mean, I, I, really, I really love to preach out of the book of Revelation, and I don't mean to pass over anything, but folks, don't make it any harder than it is. It's not really that hard. It's my job to try to make the Bible so you can understand it. I hope everybody can understand that what this is saying, there's coming a day when there will be a, when the chaotic conditions of the world will be just right for a tyrant to become the ruler of the world, and he'll come out of the ancient Roman Empire, which was the last beast. And he will have a false church. There'll be a super church developed that will have authority and he'll assist the first beast in trying to bring all the world together. But he will have only two horns like a lamb. He'll look gentle. He'll look religious, but he'll speak like a dragon, which is what the prophets called calling holy things profane. There are five applications I want to make to this and send you home rejoicing that you belong to Jesus in spite of the fact that there's an antichrist coming. Number one, when I read this, I am reminded that God still cares for me. While I am seeking inner peace and the world is obnoxious outside of me on the way to becoming what God wants it to be, God still cares about me. When I get so frustrated, I could chew nails over the political system. God still cares about me. There are times when I ask, what is going on around me? 
What is happening to this world? I mean, I get steam sometimes when I see godly people who tithe and witness and bring people to Christ and teach Sunday school and they get cancer and they're struck down in the very best of life, it seems. And then I drive around town and I see some pimp in a pink stretch limousine driving around with a refrigerator inside and steaks in there and beer and Mountain Dew's ice cold riding around like a big shot. And I say, where are you, God? Why do you let this go on? Do you ever ask that? Do you ever ask that? And the answer is revelation. Christ is coming, and it's the story of what's happening in this world while we're on the way to God doing what he wants to do in this world. And then I'm reminded that God does care for me, and it's not over. Beware how close you get to government, because folks... Even if you elected everybody you wanted to in office, if you elected everybody you prayed for, when they get in government, they become a part of a system that's very dangerous. And I'm not saying Christians should isolate themselves. We ought to be involved. I'm glad you're involved. Jeannie, I'm glad you're involved. Jane, I'm glad you're involved. But I want to tell you, don't put your faith in men in government. You can elect everybody you want. You can elect all Southern, you can elect all the, the county commissioners from Calvary Baptist Church, and you're going to be angry in three months at what they do. Amen? And you'll wind up calling them the Smothers Brothers too. So God does care, and I'm going to trust him because prophecy is a story of what's going on in this world on the way to God making it what he wants it to be. Secondly, always remember this. It is always Satan's plan to deify secular authority. It is always Satan's plan to deify secular authority. He wants to duplicate what God had when God wanted to rule over his people Israel. Now, I don't think we can go back to that. Uh, some time ago, I had two fellows who wanted to argue with me after Sunday morning. They, they were theonomists. Do you know what theonomy is? It's that we should return to the Old Testament rule in this day. And uh, if you catch a thief, you chop his hand off. <laughs> and uh, if uh, uh, your daughter gets pregnant out of marriage, you take her out and stone her to death. That's the way you eliminate teenage pregnancy. And, uh, I mean, they went round and round with me on theonomy. That's what they want. <laughs> they want to go back to that, to that rule. But at the same time, Satan wants to duplicate a theocracy, the rule of God, with a rule of Satan. See? And that's what he'll try in the tribulation period. That's where this world is going. That explains why things are the way they are. So we resist all efforts to secularize government and we stand up for biblical truth and biblical values, but we realize that that will continue until Jesus Christ actually comes. You know, I walked through this building the other day. I'm going to make a confession to you. We're going to do something about it in about a month. I'm going to, I'll tell you about it. But I walked through this building the other day after I'd read an article on what happened down in Georgia when they would not, they made the county courthouse take the Ten Commandments down? Did you, do you remember reading that? Okay. And I walked through our building and I was ashamed. And I got on my knees because I walked through this building and I didn't see the Ten Commandments once in this building. And you and I are hypocrites. When we complain that the government doesn't have the Ten Commandments up in the courthouse and we don't even have them up in our church. 
And what's more, most of us couldn't quote all 10 of them if we had to. In fact, I thought about bringing a $100 bill and offering it to whoever can quote all 10 of the commandments and do it in three and a half minutes. I lost faith at the last minute because I didn't have a hundred, so it was a good excuse. Thirdly, the application I get from this is that the false church will always seek alliances with government. But the true church must stand prophetically apart from the government so it can speak prophetically to it. Now, I have some, peop some favorite people in Congress. Do you? And uh, they've been good to me and they've helped me. But I don't ever want to get so close to them that when they do wrong, I'm afraid to tell them you are wrong. Because the true church must always keep its voice to be able to speak against the government when we know Satan is the prince of the power of this age. Do you understand what I'm saying? Fourth, the prophecies and promises of God are wholly adequate and sufficient in our day. <laughs> Boy, aren't you glad for that? When life isn't what you think it is, the schools aren't what you think they should be. Government doesn't do what you think it should do. Remember that prophecy is the record of what's going to happen on the way to God making the world what he wants it to be. And life is what happens to you while you're making plans for eternity. I have had to remember that again and again and again in the last three and a half years. Life is what happens to me while I'm making plans for eternity and God has an eternity. And I'm looking forward to that. And I'm not giving up. And I'm not quitting. <laughs> Even though the Antichrist takes over, I'm not quitting. I trust the promises and the prophecies of Almighty God. This world is in His hands. When things are dark, when you don't understand, it's still in His hands. Hear me. You can't trust the world. The world says laugh and the world laughs with you. I'm going to tell you, folks, sometimes you can, get, you can draw a bigger crowd crying than you can laughing in this world. And the world says it's getting better every day. Well, you're watching a different television set from what I'm watching if you think the world's getting better every day. And the world says there's always light at the end of the tunnel. No, I've been in some tunnels where there wasn't any light. And when I finally did see some light, I found out it was on the front of a freight train and there was a freight train ready to run over me again, right behind it. I remember when they did bypass surgery and I woke up and I wondered had I died and gone to heaven. And it was so miserable, I'd vomited in my mask. And I wondered if I'd gone to the other place after all, to be honest with you, because I thought if this is heaven, wow, I missed it. Thank God the promises of God are fully true. Amen. And the prophecies of God are fully true. Amen. I believe him and I trust him with him. And sometimes the world will give you a false signal. But remember that Jesus will be Lord in the end. You know, the final lesson I learned from this is that present reality is never permanent. <laughs> present reality is never permanent. Isn't that wonderful? 
Do you hear what I'm saying? In the hard time, listen to me, Bob, present reality is not going to last forever. I want to be a realist. I don't, want to be, uh, I don't want to be in denial. I want to be a realist. But at the same time, the realist knows that Christ is coming back and he's going to put an end to the Antichrist and an end to the false prophet and he will set up his kingdom and there is a heaven and there is a time when the pimps won't be driving around in pink stretch limousines any longer. And, 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 and the people of God will never suffer again. And there'll be no more death and no more pain and no more sorrow. There is a time. So when I see how bad the world is getting, I go to the book of Revelation. I don't go to the book of Psalms. I go to the book of Revelation. I say, praise God. The present reality is just not permanent. It's a reality, but it's not forever. It is not permanent. It will not last throughout all history. For revelation and prophecy is a picture of what's happening in the world on the way to God making the world what he wants it to be. Look with me into this house and watch as an old 90-year-old man bent by the years, gets up in the morning. After he's been up only about 30 minutes, had a cup of coffee and a piece of toast. He goes to his instrument, the cello, and he takes that cello and he practices for five hours. And if you could hear what he's playing as he practices for five hours, you would see the instrument merge with a man until there's almost perfect unity. And then he stops after five hours. And you say to Pablo Casals, why, when you're 90 years old and you are already the best in the world, do you still practice? Why do you keep on doing that? And when he was 90, he was heard to answer that question this way. I practice because I have the impression I'm making a little progress. <laughs> I practice because I have the impression I'm making a little progress. And until Jesus comes, I don't care what the government says. Well, I do care, but you know what I mean. In the ultimate, it's immaterial. There'll be a false beast, the Antichrist, yeah. There'll be another false beast, the, the false prophet, yeah. But I'm going to keep on living for Jesus. I'm going to keep on studying the word. I'm going to keep on coming to God's house. I'm going to keep on driving my Ford when the pimp is driving a brand new pink stretch Cadillac limousine. Amen? I'm going to keep on because I get the impression that I'm making a little progress toward Jesus. And I'm going to keep on making a little progress. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Father in heaven, take your word and apply it to our hearts and make us what you want us to be. Speak to the lost and give them the faith to come to Jesus and repent of their sin. Remind every lost person in this building they cannot do enough to save themselves. Only Christ can save them. 
and he's already provided for their salvation on the cross. He is the true Lamb of God. And speak to Christians who get discouraged and help them to keep on because they, they need the impression, Lord, that they're making a little progress in becoming like Jesus. Have your way in our lives. In his name, amen.